Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. We're doing podcast number episode 113. Did you read that, that article I sent you? You know what? Did it make sense I to did. you? I did. I'm going to read some of it right now. Did it make sense to you, like, what she was trying to... It did. Say? Okay, cool. Okay, so this is an article, and it was put out by... Uh, well, it's on The Federalist, mm-hmm. and it is in their education department. Parents are furious over elite New York prep, prep schools outrageous pornography training. Now, before I read this, I just want to say that I've taught similar stuff in the college for years. Right. So, like, when I'm reading this, I'm kind of, I feel a little sympathy for this teacher. Right. But there is a big difference. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, and uh, if you're listening to the podcast, we certainly appreciate you uh, listening to us. You can always check out our website at runninglight.org. And we do have a guest today, and that's Adrian Van Vactor, apologist and uh, magician, and just a wonderful brother in Christ. So he's with us, joining us uh, on this episode. And we are going to get into the book of Corinthians and talk a little bit about sex and that book, because I think that book is one of those books where you can kind of talk about anything. Right. You can talk about transgender issues. You can talk about cross-dressing issues. You can talk about... Um, you know, incest issues. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of it brings up a lot of cool topics, actually. Yeah. Okay. So parents are furious over elite New York prep schools outrageous pornography training. This just came out last week by Gabe Kaminsky, an exclusive New York high school hired an educator to teach students about pornography and it did not go well with parents. That's how it starts. That's a good start. <laughs> now, this is a New York City high school, which it, it, I got a little confused here. Columbia Grammar and Preparatory School, so it's a prep school, on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, an institution with a price tag of about 47000 for the highest grade offered, held a sexuality workshop for all students in the junior class. Okay, so it's a prep school of junior high, high school. Uh, about, it sounds like, like that age group. So this is junior high. No, that's the difference. I was teaching. No, no, I, I think that means junior in high school. Oh, junior in high school. Right. Okay, so yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Okay, junior class. Parents were not made aware of the training and students were misinformed about the explicit content. One student told New York Post he thought it was just going to be about condoms or birth control. (laughs) On the contrary, the training was called Pornography Literacy, an intersectional focus on mainstream porn. It was taught by Justine Eng Font, the Director of Health and Wellness at the Dalton School nearby. So you like that title, don't you? The title just seems so, that was the part where I'm like, I don't fully get what intersectionality has to do with porn. <laughs> you and I were you and I were talking about it a little. Well, I looked up intersectionality, the definition, okay. to try to figure this out. <laughs> so intersectionality is an analytical framework for understanding how aspects of a person's social and political identities combine to create different modes of discrimination and privilege. So what I gather um, is that there's some kind of discrimination maybe she's looking at within the porn 
popular porn. Right. That's kind of what I gather. Yeah, and you and I were kind of talking that, you know, porn is kind of one of the most equal opportunity hires. <laughs> like, like probably the most, one of the most diverse organizations probably on the planet, you know? Like, you're when, gonna... when it comes to the representation, when you talk about identity politics, the intersectional, the intersectionality conversation is people are classified into groups and those groups are set apart by power structures. Right. And when one classification of oppression intersects with another, the higher you are in the totem pole of oppressed groups. So if yeah. you're, let's say, a female, okay, your female identity intersects with the fact that you might be same-sex attracted. That intersects with you being a woman of color, which intersects with maybe growing up in a single parent family, which intersects with the fact that You're they're a Muslim. single parent family yeah. <laughs> and you happen to be low income as a result of structures in place that put you on a higher oppressed group. And why intersectionality is so important to these groups is that, <clears throat> well, breaking down those barriers is what helps free the oppression from being part of that those intersections so that's my understanding of it and why i can understand them wanting to talk about it but how it relates to pornography <laughs> they're the opposite they have the least amount of diversity when it comes to representation when you think about it you know because they're pushing like hollywood so you know media equal representation you have to have real gay people play root gay characters you can't have a non-gay actor play a gay character but from what i understand in you know the porn industry that doesn't that's not the case <laughs> well and i understand your point and i think that's that there's some validity to that you know i i, I have a couple thoughts <laughs> and that is first intersectionality just using that alone probably for the parents was a hot button topic yeah. just like a word you know, just be obviously with its ideas in social justice and its really roots in there, um, you know, it kind of raises the red flag of, okay, intersectionality, porn, you know, what exactly are we, we going to be talking about? Um, and, um, you know, because when you, you, you obviously are going to be talking a little bit about um, something that has to do with an injustice, you get the idea, or, you know, something like that, you know. Um, again, I tend to think that porn is the reason why it's funny to me is pornography. If you like big people, you just look up big people porn. Right. If you like tattoos, you look ta type tattoo porn. If you like skinny, skinny porn. No breast, <clears throat> no breast porn. Um, big butt, big butt porn. Uh, I mean, you can, specific. You can yeah. type in Asian, anything. Black, black, Latino. Yeah, Latino, uh, church, Mormon porn. Yeah, yeah I mean, you, trans. You can go down the list, <laughs> anything, yeah. man. It's Incest, just, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I, you know, it's everything goes, man. And uh, so uh, I'm not sure there's, you know, to, to say that there's some kind of maybe oppression going on in there. That was, that was what I was like weirded out by. Cause like of all the, the ways you could attack the porn industry, this doesn't seem like a real big 
reason to do, you know, like a, well, a hill I, to die on. I well, don't know. Here, here's some of the students' responses because they're great. They are pretty classic, yeah. And this reminds me so much of our interview uh, years ago with David Lay, Dr. David Lay. Right. And when he said, you know, kids don't care about porn. They're, they're more concerned about uh, the environment. You know, pornography to a kid is like, what are you talking about? So these, this is great. It says, Font runs a counseling firm and delivers presentations for those who, quote, want to build or enhance the practice, practice of intersexual, intersexual health for their school organization or families virtual or in person. So it sounds like she's a counselor and just is kind of like a pro on intersectionality. So she does talks on it. The California native spoke at the Columbia University Millman School of Public Health Students of Color graduation ceremony this year. She was invited by the Black and Late. How do you pronounce that? L A T I X. Latin X. Latin X. Because you're not supposed to say Latino anymore. Oh, really? Yeah. Because O is in Spanish is masculine. Oh. And A is feminine. And by using the O, you're making it predominantly a masculine, which is discriminatory. So Latin X meaning. We're not trying to put gender into the language. We're it's trying a, to take it out of it. It's a non-gendered yeah. version of Latino. God. Even though those kinds of words, when referring to a person or persons, doesn't exist in the language. Oh, so they're, okay. when when English speakers are using it, they're in, they're forcing their intersectional beliefs into the language. Oh, okay. So black and Latino <laughs> student caucus. And it says, and quote, advocates for Asian American health. So this is kind of her, we have like a little picture of her slide that talks about the intersectional. That's another weird thing I didn't get. Pornography literacy. Do you understand why she called it that? I think it's like understanding porn. Like learning how to read porn. Like intersectionality. Like, hey, there's a, you know, I guess black person on the screen. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that would do. I mean, you know, you're just but, you're making sure that the porn that you're watching has equity to it. <laughs> There's an equal right. representation. Well, like, dude, I'm not going to watch that porn. I mean, ever There's since social justice, people. I definitely yeah. have, have the only porn I view. I make sure there's one of each. <laughs> there has to be one of each, each gender. Scene. One of each race in each scene. represented, yeah. But isn't it true though that I mean these are those all those weird examples you were saying? <laughs> well, I mean those are niches or niche markets. I mean, isn't it the predominant, you know, heterosexual? Uh, well, uh, somewhat abusive to predominance women. lesbian. I mean, that's oh, probably right. the most popular. Is it, could that be that what be they're talking about? Is that there's not enough? <clears throat> mainstream like if you were to do analytics but it's not a it's not well i would say this it's not a representation of the lesbian world you know the lesbian porn is mostly predominantly um a certain type of woman but it, but there are there's plenty of other like you say and the audience is probably predominantly heterosexual males for for lesbian porn right um, not necessarily. Huh. So the reason why lesbian porn is so highly viewed is because women love to watch it. Oh. Hmm. You know, so, yeah. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, that? So maybe what's happening is there's an intersectionality that watches porn too. Hmm. 
you know, and maybe she's maybe she doesn't understand that. Right. Is that she's talking about pornography literacy and intersectional focus on mainstream porn, but she's not realizing that people that are intersectional, quote, in this theory yeah. of intersectionality, are actually viewing it too. Yeah. And when you get to the the topics that she goes over, it yeah. does kind of seem like it should have been entitled like a feminist view of mm-hmm. pornography. It doesn't really seem to have much to do with intersectionality to me, but I don't know. If but I that's was... new feminism. You can't separate new third wave feminism from intersection. It is the same philosophical mindset. Okay. Even though what's weird is when we have done podcasts with Prof- uh, Professor Robert Jensen, who's a hardcore feminist and super hardcore feminist, like Anthony or Andrea Dworkin, 1970s feminist, um, he would vastly disagree with the transgender um, issues right. um, in a serious way. Right. And he's been banned from public speaking in certain universities. And he's, mm-hmm. I would say, more, you know, the progressive style. Those are classical feminists, which I would say there are some great positives to, but modern intersectional like today's feminism is a stark contrast to that classic feminism hmm. from from what i've under understanding where the trans movement is a huge part of and many i've listened to many classical feminists who are even part of the lgbt community who are just adamantly opposed to this new way of thinking yeah yeah there's definitely a rift and it, there's rifts within that scene for sure. So yeah, it's kind of interesting because the topics are three big male vulnerabilities. Okay. The orgasm gap, partially nude woman or women. What is porn and what is art? Various pornography categories such as incest, barely barely legal, kink, and BDSM and others. So there's some of these things that I definitely refer to in the presentations that I have done in the college. So um, the big I, issue is it's junior high. No, I it's mean actually juniors junior, in junior high, high school. school yeah. Is that an appropriate age to be having the conversations? Even though we know that the average age of exposure is like eight. Well, that's why I think that <laughs> what Bo is getting at, you know, I think we get to him in a second. The student responses were pretty telling. Because I think there was one student who said something to the effect of like, she was more offended because she felt like it was a waste of time. Because she's like, well, we're all watching porn. Like, why are we getting a two-hour class on it? You know, like, so, in other words, she wasn't offended because she felt like the content was too risque or, like, too... She was offended because she's like, this is like having a class on how to properly eat, you know? Like, it's it's like having a class on how to walk right, you know? like Yeah, one just, of them said, this female student said, this was a total waste of time. Everyone was texting each other. What the hell is this? It's so stupid. <laughs> Everyone knows about porn. The worst part of it was that it took place not long before the AP test, and I had to miss both my AP classes for this. Most parents feel the same way as I do about not going public, but at the same time, we're incredibly frustrated by what's going on, said the student's mother. Quote, none of the parents knew this was planned. We were completely left in the dark. It makes us wonder what else the school is up to. So parents are scared, too. They don't want to be canceled. They don't want to say, like, anything wrong. 
Um, it was over a Zoom uh, platform. So it was something that um, that kind of seems like it would be fairly safe, you know, over Zoom. If you just don't like it, you just, I guess, click off. But I guess you can't when you're in the class. One quote, it's outrageous that the school is introducing pornography into a mainstream classroom and starting to indoctrinate kids. And I thought that was an interesting quote, too. Yeah. That, well, you know, it's outrageous that school is introducing pornography. Right. Like introducing pornography like i don't think they're introducing pornography out this is new york i can't imagine this is an introduction into pornography right um what i have found is and felt uncomfortable about is when we've taught in junior highs about um uh, uh predator awareness or and we brought up the topic of pornography it seems that there's half the students that are super mature absolutely know what you're talking about very sexually aware and then you have a half of those students that have no clue what you're talking about and it's a real awkward situation at that point right because you really don't want to go too far yeah you know you're trying to really even the word pornography you feel almost uncomfortable saying at that that moment at a junior high age right. yeah you're all, i know i know i was always trying to like substitute that by just saying adult content Right. You know, adult content, you know, because I didn't want kids to be like, pornography. <laughs> Get on their Google. <laughs> Google, Google yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're like, oh. Yeah, my wife tells a funny story when she was doing a book report and she was doing it on the presidency. And so she just did a search, whitehouse.org or something, yeah. .com. And she was just blown away at what she found, apparently. It's a website that's not the White House. <laughs> she failed to type in .gov. It's one of her funny, funny stories. Now, this sounds a lot like what happened here in Tucson. And, and Peter, you and I are, can explain this in a little bit. But after the Post published its report on Columbia Prep, head of the school, William M. Donahue, apologized to parents in an email saying, quote, the content and tone of the presentation did not represent our philosophy which is to educate our students in ways that promote their personal development and overall health, as well as to express respect for them as individuals, period, unquote. And what I get from that is, remember when Josh McDowell? I do, yeah. And, the, and it was at Push Ridge. And it was at Push Ridge. Yeah. And it didn't go so good. No. Right? He, he came to Push Ridge and... So, yeah, Josh McDowell gave uh, a presentation to Pushridge. And I think that, you know, it, it was another situation where I'm not sure he was aware of where he was at. Like, I, the presentation that he presented seemed geared more towards very, like, mature students. Um, but he gave the presentation to, I believe, their junior high and their high school. And he went pretty in depth about pornography, but the the main philosophical and psychological disagreements that me and Bo have with his presentation aside, I think what most parents were shocked about, and might be very similar to what's going on here, is that a lot of parents are in the dark as to how much exposure their kids have towards pornography. And so when someone comes in and speaks to their kids about pornography, I think, I think again, that, that parents, when you put the two quotes together, 
where the student is saying, this is boring. I already know about all this. And then the parent says, they're introducing these kids. <laughs> and I think that's funny because the way the article was written, I don't think the author of this article saw Caught it. how like cognitive <laughs> dissonance. Yeah, the gap between the two quotes. Because obviously the point he's trying to make is it is an exposure of pornography that's inappropriate to students. Whereas what the students are saying is we're not being exposed to it in this class. We just don't care. We just don't care. Yeah. But the students are just saying this is boring. Right. This is like way old news. Yeah. And this is really, I think, important too is, you know, I think like a thing, an article like this should be a real wake up call to a parent. But unfortunately, I don't think this is going to actually hit them in the right way. Right. And that's what you're getting at. Right. You know, because they're they're thinking like, oh, yeah, like I don't want these people to come in and talk about, um, you know, they they don't want them. They don't want my kid. They don't want their juniors to understand that pornography does legitimize certain sexual ideas. Right. Meaning it, it, it legitimizes um, incest. Right. It promotes that. It, it doesn't say that it's bad. It just makes the claim it's taboo. But in... And it, it, she's going over anime, which is probably more the... And she's probably getting into hentai, right. which is probably... I mean, I have quotes in my presentation that I show the college kids right. of, you know, the abuse. You know, I like it. You know, man, I'm, and then, you know, a, a girl getting abused and saying, oh, it hurts, but uh, I'm starting to like it. Right. Or so it's a very grooming aspect, predator, predatory grooming style. Yeah. So she's probably trying to bring out some of that. Right. And show maybe the abuses. Uh, and that's the intersectional idea there, um, which I never really considered my presentation intersectional. There you maybe go, it is, dude, bro. You're way ahead of the <laughs> I've curve. I've been ahead man. of the curve for a long time. <laughs> you didn't even know it. <laughs> you know, you, it's got to start somewhere. You're like trends. sixth wave feminist, dude. I, don't might even, know. <laughs> I might have started the social justice thing, <laughs> dude. <laughs> but, uh, you know, in all honesty, you know, parents should read this and they should go like, you know what? Maybe I should sit in on this yeah, and like listen to the presentation and, and kind of know like what my kid has seen. Yeah. You know, because I think it is radical to hear the, the students be like, dude, I had an AP thing <laughs> and I, I, I needed to go. I mean, think of how interesting our world is. Yeah. When we were growing up, dude, <laughs> we would have died. I mean, dude, we would have loved to sit in on anything pornographic. Yeah. I mean, you find a magazine in the road, you're praying <laughs> to the porn god. I remember in like second <laughs> May grade, this be pornography. <laughs> when we were still using film projectors in second grade, they were doing the unit human anatomy, and it was like a big, you know, where here it comes, <gasps> a picture of a woman's private parts, yeah. and it was like the biggest. Yeah, Everyone was like exciting. looking at each other. It's like you know, you have one of those, don't you? But what a weird <laughs> world today, where kids are like, man, dude, I had an AP. Yeah, class. they're like texting. <laughs> they're texting during the presentation, just bored out of their minds. Like, isn't that amazing? Absolutely saturated. Some kids were probably like mm. looking up porn on their phones while <laughs> the presentation so, was going on. So so saturated. 
saturated that it's yeah. just like, you it know, I'm, I'm more interested in the AP class. <laughs> 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 that blows my mind right there. It's great. And, and in the in the article, I think that some of the parents, even like the more liberal ones, their offense to it was more that she showed in order to like prove a point, she showed images of the types of like pornography that were offensive. Um, now, to my knowledge, the presentation that she gave has not been made available. Um, but that's that was, I think, some of the parents. So it wasn't the content. It was the fact that she used images that they're like, well, you don't need to show it in order to say that it's bad. Um, and they, they were more offended by that. So it is really interesting. And I wonder exactly what she showed, because I remember meeting with uh, a district attorney out here and I showed her my presentation right. that I do at Pima. She uh, prose- prosecutes sex trafficking um, issues out here in uh, Tucson. And I was just really curious. And and she said, you know, that's, you know, it's no nudity. There's no nudity, but there's definitely, you know what you're, you know what you're seeing, you know. Um, and she was cool with it. She said, hey, that's cool, but you just can't, you know, you have to be careful with you know, using stuff, you know, when you're in schools and stuff like that. And I was like, cool. But she said, no, it seems fine. You know, everything like that. Cause it's, she said, you can take things if it's for educational purposes and you can use people's clips like films and stuff like that. Long as it's for educational purposes kind of stuff. Cause I was like, is this, is that like a copyright? Am I going to get busted? Yeah. Well, fair usage and under the fair usage laws, you can, for educational purposes, you can commentate, you can do satire, you can quote, you can say, hey, here's a clip from a film. Look at how it, it's, it this illustrates one of my main points. Yeah, and, and, you I can don't do know, that. and I don't know if she like was using that, like showing parts of films and, you know, maybe it got a little risky. I don't know. I don't show any breast. I don't show any bottom stuff, you know, but you just, you know, you definitely know it's from those um Platforms, mm-hmm. you know, that kind Well, of if thing. she's de- dealing with sex trafficking, she's probably more, I mean, I'm guessing the big caution is make sure that you don't have any pictures of anyone who's underage, even if it's not illegal, the right. image itself, but if it's of someone who was trafficked in a s- news story, uh, don't go digging pictures of them and talk, tell their story because right. they're a minor. And definitely don't make references to sites that are illegal, that are, you know, underage kids and things like that. That would be, like, probably the biggest... Yeah, so they said, uh, again, the the principal basically says it was unfortunate that we did not do it better to inform ourselves of the speaker's specific content in advance. So it reminds me a little bit of the Push Ridge situation where Josh McDowell says some things. A lot of parents were like, whoa, you know, taken back by it. Um, You know, it probably is something where the parents need to be a little more uh, proactive that was just like three or four years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. It was pretty recent. It, it was a big dust up. A lot of people were very offended by it. And and as I said, our own personal issues with what he said aside, um, I, I, I struggle to believe that he was aware that he would be speaking to junior high students and going over the things that he was going over. Because again, like me and Bo, when we went into public schools, which are a lot more open to stuff like this. Uh, as Bo said, there was still a good population of that those classes that didn't know what we were talking about. And when you go into a private school, you got to assume there's probably a lot of 
very sheltered kids that when he's starting to talk about, you know, your brain on pornography and if you watch it, this will happen. Um, that would be very much like, what the heck? But honestly, a, a big portion of him, I think, also got offended because he presented an idea that if you begin, it was a very fatalistic kind of idea of pornography usage, where it was like, if you viewed it, this is what is going to happen to you. So it wasn't like, if you viewed it, it's affecting you in this way, and you know, you could turn away, you could do this, blah, 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 you know, you don't want it. It was more like, if you viewed it, this is what's happened to your brain, and this is what will continue to happen. It was a very fatalistic it was idea. Over, yeah, I remember he, he really pushed the campaign, I was following it, and it reminded me of the white weight days, similar right. emphasis. And I remember him saying things like, the brain is the largest sex organ in the body, and once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. And that is, you know, the first time you ever watched porn, you will never forget that image ever. Right. Just like you'll never forget the first person you kiss, because those centers of the brain that make memories and create those, you know, hormones in your brain, serotonin and dopamine, all that that just release during uh, sensual excitement, you won't ever forget them. And you've like sort of permanently scarred your brain and you'll never be able to look at your spouse with like a clean mind right, because right. you've been so influenced by these other images and you'll, you'll be playing those images out every time you're with your spouse. So you're literally ruining your marriage before you even thought about dating. Right. Yeah. So it's like, it's very fatalistic. fatalistic it's yeah. almost like a, I think that the intent of the presentation is it's geared towards don't ever look at it. But I think, again, it, it betrays a large amount of ignorance to think that the majority of your audience hasn't already viewed it, uh, not just accidentally, but has purposefully mm -hmm. pursued it. Uh, because if you are speaking to an audience where nobody's viewed it, that might be kind of effective. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, I've quoted these in the group before, but they've done studies on scared straight programs and found out that kids that go through them are more likely to do drugs than the kids that didn't. So it's actually, these are not effective strategies, but it, I would say it would be more effective if you were talking to a group of people that have never viewed it as opposed to a, a group of people that have already viewed it. And the majority of them have either been exposed or have pursued it willingly. So, which makes it completely useless. Well, Scared Straight worked on me because I was terrified of drugs and I was like watching videos of the guy who thought he was Superman and then he talked about flashbacks or, right. yeah, and I was terrified. I never touched a cigarette or a joint or anything. Yeah. I never even had a drink of wine until right. my late 30s. <laughs> right. Because I was just like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to be Superman <laughs> or think I'm Superman. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, with the Scared Straight programs, what they figured out is that when you go through a Scared Straight program there you have to look at the amount of mobility so you, you have three basic categories you have a category that is already doing it right so if i go into a junior high uh junior high school or high school there's a portion of that population that's already using drugs and is already in that world they have family members friends that are already in that world you have a group that has never done it but are curious and then you have a third group who would never do it anyway Right. So the third group that will never do it anyway, and the group that's already doing it, they're going to be completely unaffected by the presentation. But that second group of kids that 
haven't done it, but they're aware of it, the presentation moves them predominantly into a category where they become more curious about it. Hmm. So some of the kids will be like you, where they'll be like, I'm curious about it. And then they see that and they're like, oh my gosh, never mind. But there's a good part, portion of the population uh, that's going to be like, huh, I never knew about that. And they go and they talk to that kid that they know is already doing stuff. Like, is that true? Mm -hmm. And they start asking a question. That curiosity actually moves them deeper into it. So, uh, they, like I said, they've done really interesting studies on it, and they found that they're incredibly ineffective. But I would bet that yeah. there's you could probably that middle group. You could probably break it up into two groups. Yeah. Kids who inherently buck authority for right. the sake of bucking authority. I was a kid who never had the idea or desire to undermine authority for the sake of undermining authority didn't matter if it was school parents i was very much wanting to follow the rules right and i was it was that mentality that well gosh if that's what's going to happen and you know the idea of getting in trouble was i didn't want to get in trouble right (laughs) whereas i knew lots of kids that it didn't matter what it was if it was something you told them not to do they're going to do it just because you and I don't know if that's <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I don't know where those mentality, those two dynamics come from. The the kids who just no, I want to obey authority because I you know I just don't want to get in trouble. Right. Whereas other kids, it's like I want to get in trouble because there's just this this rebellious nature. And you know the Bible actually talks about those mentalities in numerous places. Uh, my favorite one is actually in Colossians two, where he describes um, the uselessness of the methodology of saying, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. And he describes basically those two mindsets. In other words, when I say to someone, I just lay down the law, don't do this. The two mindsets and the ways they're going to interpret it differently is there is the mindset who, when you say don't do this, immediately wants to do it simply because you told them not to. But the second one, you can call it a legalistic mindset, finds their value system and significance through following rules. So once you give them a rule, they're eager to obey it, but they're eager to obey it because they find value through obeying boundaries. So they find their their significance through that. So they glean onto more of like a pharisaical type mm-hmm. mindset. They're more interested in acceptance by power structures rather than peers. Right. Exactly. And yeah. But what I think is really interesting about this whole conversation and I guess the gap between what parents are obviously understanding when it comes to the pornography issue and the reality of where our culture is. Uh, What I think is really fascinating is that a lot of parents that are offended by stuff like this, what they're saying, and I think they're saying two things, and I want to get your your thoughts on it because I was thinking about it when I read the article. I think the two thoughts are, A, pornography is terrible and it needs to be eliminated and banned. And the second one is, I don't want my kid to ever be exposed to this kind of content ever. Um, And both of them, I think, betray an ignorance when it comes to the topic as a whole. Um, You know, the first one being an ignorance of, and I think this woman is really showing it clearly, the talk about banning of pornography will always be molded and moved by the other side of, pornography reform, which is what her presentation essentially is. Yes, let's take these negative things that you Christians are using to say that pornography is evil, but let's reform it. Let's make better pornography. 
And the second one, I think, is an ignorance of, like I said, what kids have already been exposed to. But, uh, like, what do you think about when when you think about that topic? Yeah, well, I think one thing that's happening and kind of when I look at the future, and I've kind of blogged on this over the years, but it's that, you know, pornography's destruction is like a, it's like a slow burn. You know, it's, it's happening as a slow burn, I believe. Um, and because using a moral argument isn't crushing, you know, pornography is not going to go away because of a moral argument, because there's too many people that don't like the moral argument. It's usually based in Christianity and people uh, who don't like Christianity don't want to use the moral argument to ban uh, pornography. So that's been tried already for the last century and it's been found wanting. So, you know, I've always thought it was going to go like prohibition. It's going to go through a health care kind of issue. But now you start seeing it kind of coming in stealth through social justice and all and this kind of intersectionality idea that let's pull you know let's look at pornography and now let's look at pornography through the lens of this social justice world and find its problems and 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 i almost sense that they're not going to be able to figure out how to really um rehab this thing right you know, uh, I mean, how how would that look? I mean, how do you rehab this? Right. How, you know, how do you do that? Um, and it, and it's almost like uh, you, you make it through a social justice argument, like like it is it is not lawful. Yeah. You know, it is not lawful to look at that. Hmm. You know, because it it's 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 against a person's you know rights or it's against a person's you know it's not just to them you know to look at that kind of pornography so if you look at like cisgender porn you know that would be you're just buying into the man you're just buying into uh you know the hegemony you know so pornography almost gets that i could see it getting that rap now Mm. where you know it's like there's a hegemony in porn pushes up that hegemony a lot of popular porn pushes up that kind of hegemony that's what i was talking about even in lesbian porn uh it seems like the predominant kind of pornography are beautiful people and they look very feminine very feminine that don't characterize what in reality what many women who identify as same-sex attracted or are definitely not you know cisgendered even they may be not like I know somebody who's dating someone who's non-binary and and technically, biologically, they're a lesbian couple, but one identifies as non-binary but has not done any kind of like physical changes. Yeah. Necessitates any and still prefers she or is happy with that pronoun, but still identifies as non-binary, which is, you know, that spectrum. And this is where I think the whole intersectional social justice movement i i thinking is eating itself when the topic of pornography and this on the one hand they're reforming but the result is that uh kids watching pornography is pushing them away from relationships like abigail schreier wrote a book um on the on teenage girls doing uh transitioning in in mass and rapid onset 
gender dysphoria. Mm. And some of the research in her, she's an investigative journalist and wrote this book, and it's created quite of a kind of a craziness because uh, it's you know hate. I think it got banned. Yeah. Yeah, and and so I listened to a, a, an interview with her and Jordan Peterson, where she started listing how right now we have the lowest marriage rate in history. Like our marriage rates are really low. People are getting married much later, and kids' sexual exper- experimentation is the lowest ever. Kids are terrified of sex because of pornography, because of what they see. This is what it's like. The the over the predominance of male dominated, male cisgendered, you know the violence, the abuse that depicted as the more popular, the more often consumed. If you do a generic search, that's what you're going to find. You're going to see male dominated women being treated as objects and you know and beaten kind of. And so she's pointing these things out and what's creating these trends. And because there is this less interest in what you'd call traditional cisgender or heterosexual relationships, fam- the nuclear family, marriages, and kids, is that, well, if this is what marriage and sex is like, I don't want anything to do with it, number one. Number two, I don't have a sense of identity anymore. So you'll have a group of teenage girls who will all of a sudden, all of them, identify as male all at the same time and will without parental permission go get on testosterone and hormone blockers and it's an epidemic and she points and she's says i don't have an axe to grind i'm not trying to be political i'm just i did the research i asked the the specialists i did the the fact checking and this is what's happening it's not i don't think i don't want this to happen this is what's happening and it's really interesting it's kind of terrifying well you know Interestingly, in her presentation, again, it's very hard. I would love to see her presentation. It's not available, but um, so I just, I'm having to do some, a lot of inference here. (laughs) What it seems like to me, her solution to the problem, because she doesn't seem to be anti-porn, the woman who made this presentation. She seems to be actually very pro certain types of pornography. Her solution seems to be Um, utilizing sites like OnlyFans where people can actually produce their own pornography like self-styled. So in other words, it's kind of this idea of let's destroy the existing porn industry, like the mainstream pornography. Yeah, what might be called the hegemony of... That's right. And it's kind of interesting that you bring up hegemony because it seems like it's, it's almost like a socialistic ideology where the workers should keep the profits you know like there shouldn't be some sort of a capitalistic investment where you have this mainstream porn industry that's dominating everything else but it should just be you have a camera in your room you can as a female you can just videotape yourself or you can you know videotape yourself with a partner and post that and get the profits directly and keep them and that seems to be her solution which i think is kind of interesting yeah and it might might go really well with the whole social justice um backdrop right you know um and that's how they're looking at it to me there's a lot of multiple factors that go that you know i'm not sure if they're actually accurate um uh, of what i hear and that is understanding that pornography today is more like 50 percent amateur 
meaning it's not big business right for a lot of people it's very 50 percent just amateur what they call amateur porn and then you have uh so many youth that produce their own porn whether it's through sexting or through their own videoing and uploading or uh, sometimes it's just sending, you know, video text. And, and it might not be Snapchat. for monetary reasons. Yeah, and there's a lot of it that's not so much monetary. Right. Um, um, that that already there's a lot of just people, you know, human beings are sexual beings and they tend to experiment and uh, do what they will with their sexuality. Um, when I was hearing you talk about, like... Um, um, I think you were talking about um, what maybe the parents were thinking about the pornography that they that they might have showed or something like that. Or, um, you know, I, I'm just shocked that parents or people are shocked by human beings' different ways of engaging in sexual practices. Right. Um, you know, because when you look at intersectionality, if you really want to go that route. In sex, it could, you know, intersectionality, like what is a intersectionality? Well, having multiple partners, uh, many partners, right. you know, that's not part of the hegemony at all. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, and, and that's... And that is becoming more like glorified. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, and it's, and it's, it's like, how does that, you know, what, you know, there's so much to talk about, you know, do you know, do parents not understand that or right. do, do they not understand that that's a part of the human condition? Like, I don't know if, see, monogamy, I don't think is the norm. I don't think that's the human norm. Right. Um, I, I think that is something that when I look at Christianity's influence in the world, um, I see uh, something happening right. in Europe and, and in turn uh, where Christianity has ventured out. Right. Um you know, and, and still, it seems like that's being fought, but it almost seems like there's a lot of contrary information where, you know, that's going on. Well, know? yeah, you know, like when you when you look at the monogamy of the ancient world, and I, I put that in quotes. Yeah. It's actually more like the monogamy that you see in especially like bird populations, where in bird populations, the way the monogamy works is that you have a partner. You have one partner that you raise kids with, but you are sexually free to have relations with other partners. And in fact, a lot of the bird populations use other sexual partners to inspire jealousy in their partner to get them more scared of losing them and wanting to keep them for their kids. And it's funny, like when you look at that, it seems very much like what a lot of ancient cultures were more like, where you do have usually, especially like in Greek culture and a lot of the Asian cultures, you would have like one person that you're raising your kids with sometimes, right? But you would also have mistresses. You would have other sexual partners that you're free to go with. And uh, also women would be free to do the same thing, have alternative sexual partners within the marriage confines. But like you said, poly, uh, poly, Amory and uh, poly polygamy Andy. and poly all yeah, those things. Aren't they are adding that to the super alphabet too? Well, well, it's plus. So you can add any letter. There. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I was actually I was listening to this really interesting uh, 
podcast the other day about movies of all things, and they were talking about that horror movie, which I really like. Actually, it's called The Quiet Place. Did you ever see it? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Part I know two comes still- out. Uh, tomorrow. I know. I'm excited. Um, really you, you and Sylvia, I think, would like it, man. It's a good horror movie. Uh, but essentially, when it, they're talking about it... Sci-fi thriller. Yeah, we, it's like a sci-fi thriller. We don't watch thriller. any horror movies. It's not um. a horror movie. It's a sci-fi thriller. Not even as scary or weirdy as Aliens. It's like even less than yeah. that. Uh, when I think of... Because I grew up on horror. Horror is like slasher, bloody. Right. This is, this, this is this is a pretty This is a so that probably bums you out. <laughs> that it's not I like, like that. The <laughs> House on Haunted yeah. Hill. It's oh like, my gosh! It's like a B movie that's really high quality. It's like a really good movie, but it has like a B movie premise. But um, one of the things that they point out in the movie that I thought was fascinating was they said this is one of the only movies that I'm aware of that shows a positive marriage relationship. And I was. I like pause when I listen to it because these guys are not Christians. They're just like people who like movies and they comment on them. And I paused when I heard that and I thought through it in my head. And I was like, they're absolutely right. When movies depict romantic relationships, meaning when they want to focus in on a romantic relationship, they almost always start with the beginning, people falling in love. They almost never have a positive, loving relationship that is an established loving relationship with kids like that's becoming more and more uncommon where you go back to like the 90s and stuff every sitcom was a loving family unit but now it's like more and more uncommon and i think about like you know cheers and shows like that where it became more uncommon where you would have two characters that are perpetually falling in love they never actually get together because the writers didn't even know how to write a successful Mm -hmm. relationship it did help that the writer Happened to be as the, the main lead male happens to be married to the lead female as well. <laughs> happen to be married <laughs> Helps to the life. chemistry a little, and they have a really good marriage apparently. Right, but the the funny thing about what they were saying to me and kind of like what we're talking about with pornography and what you mentioned earlier, Adrian, about um, this generation and the younger ones being less sexually active, romantically, is that what we seem to be more and more consuming as entertainment as people who want to be entertained is not monogamy it's not you know i want to be with this one person the very best we could do is kind of the beginnings of monogamy but even then in like almost all chick flicks that you can think of romantic comedies whatever it's usually someone is in a completely different relationship and they're being wooed out of that relationship by someone else so there's not really a strong push of traditional monogamy is awesome. You know, one man, one woman. Let's talk about just how beautiful that could be, how glorious it could be when two people are just together till death, you know, like growing together. That's really not depicted anymore. I thought 40 year old virgin did a good job with that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of wholesome family movies about monogamy. He'd rather watch a sitcom than watch porn. He wanted to rate for the white, right person. And they glorified the fact that he waited and then he got married. And yeah. Yeah. I I think with like this generation, you get to such a good insight uh, Mm -hmm. from the article. And one of them is that idea of that this gen um, what is it, Gen Z? Yeah. Is that what this generation? Yeah. yeah. One of them is that, that the way they look at pornography or sexual material is certainly blase. It's certainly not a big thing. 
It's not, it's not like uh, any kind of weird thing. And because of that, it's almost like uh, they create a different kind of subculture that's different from the older generations. Like for instance, like when I was younger, because um, pornography was uh, not so accessible, it was not blasé. Right. And it was something that was out of the the hegemony. Right. And so being watching it or being a part of it was a part of your subculture. Right. It was a part of whether whatever music you were into or things like that. So it's probably like super weird for you to uh-huh. see pornography seen as the, yeah, the hegemony. Norm. It's, all, it's like this. It's like this. <laughs> Ozzy Osbourne becomes the hegemony. Right. You know, he becomes that he's the power. He's structure. the norm. Yeah. He's you know, the... uh, that's that is the norm. And, and so when you, when, when that is what people do is we all want to have something in us that wants to worship and feel special. And so we create these subcultures, um, um, automatically and we take anything because we're worshipers, we will grab to any idol, anything and, and, and make it into something. And because pornography is already part of the hegemony, it's already part of the mainstream. Yeah. It's it's already oversaturated, beyond oversaturated. It's just it's just blah, you yeah. know. That uh, you know, just like you know, when you listen to Journey for the first time in 1970s, you were like, dude, that's some heavy metal. Yeah. You know, you listen to Journey today, and you're like, dude, soft. That's yeah. soft. <laughs> but that's where that's why she's introducing the intersectional side of it. Is it? Mainstream. That's why the emphasis is on mainstream pornography. Yeah, but there's not because intersectionality has an emphasis on the individual as different and part of a an oppressed group. Right. It, and when you see any kind of power structure that does not have equal representation of all oppressed groups. That's why the conversation exists. But I think what happened, like, is like, I think what happens is that people naturally break out into these subgroups. Like, it's natural for human beings that don't know Christ to naturally go, hey, how can I make a subculture out of my sexuality? Right. You know, how can I do that? It's like this old saying goes, birds of a feather flock together. Yeah, and so you find a new thing, something that's different. The intersectionality comes in, right? Something that's different from the norm, right? It's just like monogamy becomes different from the norm. It became different from paganism. Hmm. And to Rome, to the Romans, that became somewhat, to some of them, that became quite like awesome looking. Like they were part of a hegemony, Mm -hmm. a pagan hegemony. And then they looked at Christianity and started going, man, there's something to that. Yeah. There's something attractive about that. It created its own little subculture of people that were into this like strict monogamy type of thing. Yeah. But they seemed totally stoked about it. Yeah. You know? And but that's what intersectionality opposes is the, the natural inclination of people with like mindedness or like features or like likes tend to group themselves together. That's what intersectionality is trying to unravel, is that you have what's what ends up becoming of those groups is social norms. Mm. And intersectionality is saying, no, we need to break down these social norms because it always excludes somebody. At the same time, though, and there's the big contradiction. <laughs> right, right, right. At the same time, they are assumed, they 
it, while denying these structures, these groupings, they're creating them by identifying other groups that are not part of the norm that are being left out as groups. The fact that they're grouping them in the first place yeah. is breaking down its own argument. Yeah, it's like a contradiction. Yeah. Right? But what I think I hear you saying, which is kind of interesting, I want you to, yeah. to tell me if I'm right what I'm hearing. It seems like you're saying that there's reason to be optimistic because as our culture swings so far this way, all of a sudden Christianity becomes the subculture where it becomes right. like a rebellious attitude, which That's right. is kind of interesting. That's right. It becomes its own. It's just like they, the, the intersectional people would say, hey, don't, don't get ticked off on the transgender population. You know, it's special to them. Yeah. You know, and, and to the transgender world, their world is special to them. They have their own um, environment, their own subculture within a culture, their own uh, kind of worldview, um, you know, their ideologies within that worldview and those type of things. And, you know, I just see that in history that's happened. At this It's already switched to Christianity at some point, yeah. you know, in the Christian and it's it's gone. It's going back, um, you know, in a lot of culture to more of a um, a. Uh, not, I don't want to say a pagan. I think that's a little too simplistic right. to use well, hedonistic. that. Hedonistic. Um, but yeah, definitely on that realm, um, uh, even though I don't feel like when you study history, people were given a fair shot of being lesbians or people weren't given a fair shot of being um, uh, pedophilia. Right. People weren't given a shame. Uh, and what I mean by pedophilia, I don't want people to li- re- listen to this and go, Bo, you put lesbianism with pedophilia. But I mean, like, someone who's younger, you know, and someone who's older. Right. You know, what we would consider pedophilia in Rome was very, in Greece especially, was very normal or common, right. Right. you know. Yeah, the, um, the proper term is atypical behavior. Right. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. And, you know, the, the I'm learning a lot from Adrian. I'm glad he's in the podcast. <laughs> you know, the, the interesting thing also about what you're saying, and I think it does go back to the fall, where since we're fallen, I think there's something in us that naturally rebels against whatever structure is dominant. Right. You know, and I was thinking about that with the new Star Wars because you know, the new Star Wars aren't very good. But one of the things that I was su- surprised by is because it's supposed to be a sequel. At the end of the original trilogy, the good guys won. The rebellion won and they're now the power structure. But then you start in the sequels and they're the rebellion again. It's like, well, how did that happen? You know, They were the power structure. Why wouldn't you create the next movie where the good guys are now in power and they're fighting against ev- the evil people who are rebelling against them. And the reason is because no one wants to root for the power structure. <laughs> You're not going to get a bunch of people coming to the movies to root for an established power structure fighting down um, the rebellious group that's rising up against it. We want to root for the rebellion because we want to feel like we're rebelling against something. This is why Christianity is such a threat to, so for example, communism. And why they try to root it out. Because wherever Christians exist, you're going to have a semblance of freedom and free will and a bucking against power structures. Not for the sake of bucking them, but because the inherent value in a human being that yeah. is, is completely absent in a naturalistic. That's my biggest fear of what's different today and as in previous eras is absolute materialism. Yeah. 
the belief that nothing exists outside the material world, mm-hmm. that gives nothing of value to humanity or anything after life uh, yeah. whatsoever. I mean, even the most pagan, most non-theistic cultures in history had some kind of something right. of, of non-materialistic uh, worth, something worth fighting for, something worth attaining, glory of some sort. But today, it's probably the first time that I can think of in human history where the predominant worldview of the West is that there is nothing outside the material world. Absolutely yeah, nothing. Yeah, and that's probably why you have, you know, people always wonder why there's such various, uh, a varying opinions today in the world. People are always like, why are we so, why is there such a varying opinion? But I think that's the reason why, is because, see, in the olden days, at least there was um, theological structures. Right. You know, there was metaphysical um, um uh, worldviews, yeah, rules, boundaries, yeah. where people people thought those ways. Where today things are super arbitrary, like massively arbitrary, because it's so materialistic uh, of a philosophy, um, where we can't really agree on anything because we're all materialist. And when you're all materialist, then who's who's to say yeah. who's really you know what's right or what's wrong really even from a governmental standpoint the, right. the founders the constitution this was this was designed for a people who are religious people and people who are able to govern themselves yeah. in a within within a moral framework based on a judeo-christian worldview you you strip that away you know you can pretty much throw away the constitution too because that only works in that kind of situation which is what we're seeing today is this huge divide of of infighting when you know when when you think about privilege we live in the most privileged time and place in human history where the predominant the majority of people are wealthy by any stretch of the imagination and are healthy or have more access to freedom and equality than in any time in any place any point in human history (laughs) and i go i think of what you were talking about a little earlier and that is we just can't fight, you know, the power of sin is so great right. on human beings that it is, there always is a desire to go against any structure. Right. So even when Christianity rules the nest, because of the sinfulness of mankind or human beings, let's say, let's be gender, human, human <laughs> beings, you know, peeps. Yeah, all the peeps. Because of that, though, it can't stay in power. Right. Because it it's its power structures fall in two. It, it, you know, those people that are within those structures are 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 bailed, and then those people that see the injustice of that power structure, um, you know, are out to overthrow that power structure. See, the I think the human illusion, and what. This happens not only in Christian world, but social justice people's world, atheist world, whatever. You know, the illusion is that when we get in power, right, we're gonna, it's gonna work. Right, it's going to work. No, history bears it out. It will not work. Right, it will, it will function <laughs> for a time, but just for a time. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, unfortunately, human, uh, you know, Christianity is proven simply through the depravity of man 
and the hiddenness of God. Right. You know? And it has shown itself, <laughs> though, in when you think of Western culture and Christianity's influence, this is an imperfect, very, very flawed civilization working itself out, trying to apply as, as best as it sinfully can Christian values that have brought us to the place where we do have some of the greatest milestones in human history, but it's still a, as Paul said, a shadow. Yeah. Simply. We only know in part. We only prophesy in part. part, Everything's in part. My biggest, why I'm not comforted by the swing is is because of the intersectional claim. You have literally 15 centuries of cisgendered, heterosexual, male-dominated, white, Christian influence. That stigma will take more than a generation to go away. So even when Christianity is oppressed, the gospel may flourish, but Christianity's influence, I don't know that there's ever a recovering from this. Well, the interesting thing is, and this is something that I find really, really fascinating, is that even though the systems that claim to be rebelling are in power. I mean, that they're, it's not like they're a minority. They're, but they have so convinced themselves and the world that they are the rebellion and that Christianity and, and white America is somehow the hegemony and hegemony and they're, they're fighting against them. It's like, what are, you, what are you talking about? You know, we, we just elected one of the most radical presidents ever who like believes in intersectionality believes in critical race theory, wants it taught in schools, right? Like, what do you mean that you're the rebellion, that you're the minority when he overwhelmingly won by like 10 million votes? Like, that's just not true. But they've they've actually convinced themselves and the world that it is true. Yeah, well, that's the illusion. That's right. That Christianity is still the hegemony when it's like, in what way? Like, in what way are we the hegemony? Like, where... Where is the structure of power of Christianity yeah. that's oppressing people? But it's, it's me, in the legal, it's in the systems, the laws and systems that have been in place for a hundred years. Yeah, right. to me, it's always just what the, they would say. It's just naturally, right. to me, it just, it, it, it so much proves, you know, Christianity's worldview just seems to be like proven right. by all this activity even more. Right. People worship no matter what. Then the people want to be the victims. The effort no to what. disprove Christianity, they have proven Christianity. That's right. You know? in, in a nutshell, yeah. it's like, you know, they've shown it to be so true that we are a mess. Yeah. And if there's anything the Bible teaches, it is the fallenness of human beings. And the actual departure and divorce from God to human beings. There's an outreach here with even with the inter- I mean, when you think about some of the things that Jesus did and said, were absolutely cross uh, countercultural. Yeah. And so, in many ways, there's a balance. Just like when you had the emergent church movement, you know, real popular in the '90s, real similar to what's going on now with progressive Christianity. Right. There's very. I mean, it's just a different term for the same thing, but it's just yeah. applying postmodernism, and uh, and and and. What, but what was happening is that there were certain problem areas, immoralities, you might say, injustices, problem areas that people were identifying. But as uh, the author who was responding to Brian McLaren's book, The New Kind of Christian, he called it Truth, The New Kind of Christian. He's like, yes, you're right. This is a problem. But you're throwing out the entire baby with the bathwater by throwing out truth and adopting postmodernism. That's what's happening with progressive Christianity. They're saying, yep. Yeah, 
this is wrong. Uh, we should not. We should not discriminate. We should not, uh, you know, pay deference to people for the sake of their wealth or whatever. Where there's a problem there, but they're throwing out all the other things that matter too at the same time. Right. And the interesting thing about you know sexual morality and where where I think it's going, and I think they've already kind of stated it without stating it, where. The majority of people today, I think their perspective on sexual morality is the only thing that is restricted is restriction. So in other words, like if you say there is a right and wrong way to have a relationship and a more healthy way to raise your kids in and, and if all that stuff, that is what's restricted. But any other things that were used to be taboo or things that we discouraged, these are now things that are openly promoted and glorified. And that's why Christianity has to be attacked because it is a belief system that does state that there is a right and that there is a wrong. But, um, you know, and I, again, I, th- I think this woman's presentation really points that out where she's not attacking pornography. And that's, again, what I think a lot of Christians don't understand that you're not actually like if you're going to attack the porn industry, you know, with a capital I, if you're going to attack it you're not doing what you think you're doing. You're not actually attacking pornography as a whole or even sexual immorality as a whole. What you're actually attacking is a particular power structure that these people aren't attached to at all. They would be totally cool with it burning because they just want their own way anyway. You know, they don't they don't actually want anything that has power or authority over them. They want to be able to structure their sexuality however they want, you know. Which makes perfect sense why the, the instructor, the curriculum writer, would be pro self-made content. Right. Because it's it's as organic as you get. Right. It's not directed by someone with a preset of preconceived notions of what is desired or what is acceptable or what is typical. No, it's every individual is its own unique niche. I wonder if that would go over into movies, though, into the mainstream, you know, like, you can't make a movie anymore. (laughs) It is. It is happening. It's exactly what's happening in movies. TikTok, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) TikTok's going to take over. Yeah, you can't make, you can't make movies anymore because you, you know, it's a a structure. That's the power structure. It's a money-making structure. Hollywood is a power structure. They're constantly eating eating themselves. Yeah. Oh, you can't have that actor. Now they're trying to cancel Robert Downey Jr. because of Tropic Thunder. Yeah. So even though it was a satirical, I mean, it, it's totally not what they. It's just, yeah. It doesn't matter. It's ruined entertainment. It's ruined comedy. It's ruined <laughs> even though there's some fun comedy out there right now, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> hey, Adrian, thanks for joining us. And Peter, always awesome. Yeah. Get your insights. And my name's Bo, and we're running Life Ministries. You can always check us out online. And uh, you guys have a good one. Bye bye. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.